Join me in the 23rd Psalm this morning, as we always do. Psalm 23, a Psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, just now as we come into your presence once more, Lord, we do thank you that you are always here with us. We do give you praise, God, because no matter where we are, all we have to do is simply whisper your name. And you're right here with us. Lord Jesus, I pray right now that there would be a move of your spirit in this house this morning that is evident to your people. Father, that we would feel you here. That we would come week by week knowing that this is a place where we can come weary and heavy laden but leave with a cup that runs over. Leave with joy that runs over into the week. Father, this morning you've laid a word on my heart that excites me. And Father, even now, I pray, Lord, that you would begin to open the hearts of your children to pick up some of that excitement. Father, set a new fire in their hearts this morning. Tune up their ears, Lord, that they would hear your voice in this message. Father, at the same time, I ask you, to reach down and touch my own lips with a refining coal that I would speak only the words which you have given me and none of my own. So Lord, have your way in this time. Let it all be to your glory and your glory alone. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning we're going to finish up the book of James. And... I think in James chapter 5, there's a lot of uh, what, what I might call catchphrases of Christianity. And we've been through a lot of them, and now we're going to drive them home. <laughs> so we're going to start in verse 13, and we're going to read through verse 20. This, uh, Bob was kind of picking on me <laughs> as, as I got ready for this. He said, how are you going to do this four-week series in one week? I said, I hope everybody brings lunch. <laughs> but we can do this. James chapter 5, beginning in verse 13. Is any among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is any among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them 
and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. As a power-packed passage that we got to dig our way through today. So the message title is, Do This. And, and as we read scripture, there's a lot of different things that we could highlight and write, do this, next to. And I don't know about you guys, but for me, whenever I think James 5, my brain instantly turns to the King James and says, the effectual fervent prayer of the righteous man availeth much. <laughs> That's how I learned that. And, and I, I can tell you this, I remember learning that as a little boy. I'm talking eight, nine years old. Having that put into my brain. And there was so much of that that I couldn't begin to comprehend at that age. Because those are big words. They're chunky words that we don't really use. And... So even though I didn't quite get it, I knew it must, have meant some, it must have meant something good because I heard it over and over and over again. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Also, this little brain stayed little. <laughs> and so as I'm putting this together, I, I read through this passage this week and I said, you know what? We need to start with some definitions. And so even though the NIV doesn't use the fervent word, it's a very important word for us. Because what we're looking at today is more so a discipleship pattern than anything. And so I want to give you this definition. Fervent. It can be defined as a display of passionate intensity. Okay? When we think about fervency, when we think about fervor, or praying fervently, what comes to our minds? For some of us, it's, it's this um, 
know, if, if I pray extra long, that's a fervent prayer. Or if I change my physical posture and I'm actually bowed on my knees, that's a fervent prayer. Well, I'm not really going to tell you that there's a right or a wrong because fervency develops in you, okay? Fervency is something that's between you and God. But as I, as I thought this through, I thought if I was going to give a congregation an example of fervency, I would use Miss Clara from War Room. Anybody know who Miss Clara is? All right. For those of you that don't, let me introduce you to Miss Clara. How's that for fervency? <laughs> so when I think about fervency, that's, that's quite honestly the first thing that really comes to my mind is something excitable. It's a passionate display of intensity. My God is in charge. You can't fire him and he isn't going to retire. Praise God, right? So that's where we want to start. Now, of course, we have to go back into some original languages. And so we're going to look at a couple of words here before we get dig, digging into the scripture. Because these are really important words to understand. So the first word that I want to teach is a Greek word, splachnizomai. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's a rough word, isn't it? <laughs> but it literally, it's a Greek word that literally means moved by compassion. And when we look at the Old Testament, we come across the word compassion a pretty good number of times. But it's important for us to know this. When we come across the word compassion in the Old Testament as we read it, we're coming across the word hamal. And hamal doesn't mean moved by compassion. It means to show pity or to spare. It's more of a mercy word than a compassionate word. So why am I talking about this splachnizomai word? Well, because it's important for us to understand this. Splachnizomai never occurs in the Septuagint. So, in the Greek Old Testament, this word is non-existent. Its first appearance is in Matthew 9, 36. 
And in Matthew 9, 36, Jesus was so moved for people. He felt a new expression of compassion. Something changed. And so when we consider things about fervency, there's going to be a level of compassion, right? As you think through Miss Clara here, she must have felt some kind of compassion for that phone call she received, right? Because she got pretty worked up. She was moved by compassion. She wasn't being pitiful. She wasn't being sparing. She felt something. Okay? Two other words that I need you to know before we move forward. Pistuo and pistis. Note that they look pretty similar. So pistuo means to commit one's trust to, and pistis means a faith or an assurance. And we see these two words um, occur in the New Testament, and we're going to talk through the scriptures. Um, we're going to talk through one of the scriptures. So you see pistuo occur in Mark 16, 17. And these signs accompanied those who believed. When they believed, they committed their trust. Okay? And then in Hebrews 11, the Faith Hall of Fame, that's where you see pistis occur. So pistuo kind of means believe, or it's trans translated more often believe, and pistis is more often translated have faith. And I promise all of that has a point. <laughs> so now we want to look at discipleship that's patterned here in James 5, 13 through 20. Because as I think back through our summer, our, our very effective summer of outreach, it was disciple-making that we were all about, right? And so we handed out at the, at the Portage County Fair, we handed out a little green book that said, Try Praying. It's a disciple-making technique in prayer. And so when I look at this passage of Scripture, I noticed there's a pattern set out for us. So on the back side of your insert, you have four E's. And we're going to look at each one of these and talk a little bit about it. So the first thing that we come across is education. We should educate people. So James 5, 13 and 14. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. That's instructive. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. That's instructive. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. That's instructive. Jesus taught his disciples this way. And when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room and close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen. 
Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because they're many words. Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So James lays out this first pattern of education. And Jesus gives his disciples some education. Now, this is Matthew chapter 6. Jesus is teaching his disciples, this is how you should pray. But when you continue to read through the gospel of Matthew, you come across chapter 10. And in chapter 10... After Jesus has taught his disciples, this is how you should pray. Then, Matthew 10, 5, these 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Notice what Jesus did before he sent them out. He taught them to pray. I'd say this, he taught them to pray well. Amen. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter, any, or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse those who have leprosy. Drive out demons. Freely you have received. Freely give. So Jesus gives his disciples this bit of education. He says, first I need you to make sure you understand how to pray well. And then I'm going to send you out into the streets to the lost sheep of Israel. And when you understand how to pray well, what you're going to do is going to be effective. I've given all of this to you freely. Now go pour it on somebody else. Amen. The next thing that we see in James 5 is in verses 15 and 16. And it's an encouragement. So first we're going to educate. Next we're going to encourage. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. Yes, the Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you might be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. That's a good encouraging word. When you think about praying for someone, sometimes praying for people and, and, and 
don't shoot me for how honest I'm going to be. Sometimes praying for people gets discouraging, right? It just does, because we're on this side of eternity. And sometimes our own faith stumbles. But sometimes in the depth of that discouragement when we're praying for someone, something in that faith reignites. Something rekindles. A new flame starts to fan inside of you. You get that new burning passion. And even though you started to feel discouraged, it's like, wait a minute. I know the man who hung on that cross. Wait a minute, I know the man who gave his life for the need that I'm praying over right now. And something happens. And so that person who's praying, even in the moment of discouragement, feels that flame being fanned, is moved by compassion, and prays effectively. In Mark 16, 17, and 18, and these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons, they will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands, and when they drink deadly poison, it will not harm them at all. They will place hands on sick people, and they will get well. To me, that's an encouraging passage. When I read through Scripture, and I'll attest to this, in moments of discouragement, Mark 16 is one of my go-to chapters because I can sit and while I'm, I'm not going to say that I can reason with myself per se for those who come to Wednesday evenings, I'm not saying that I'm reasoning on my own here, but I can, I can talk myself out of the hole by reading Mark 16. I can tell myself, Eric, you believe. You believe every word of this book. So in a moment of discouragement, when it feels like, I can't do any of this, I can't, but I know a guy. Amen. Amen? Yeah, that's right. I can't, but I know a guy. And he can. And y'all know me well enough to know, picking up snakes ain't going to happen. <laughs> That's just the truth. If there's a snake, I pick up the cell phone and call my dad and say, bring the garden hoe. I'm staying inside. <laughs> call me back when it's gone. But when we look at this, and, 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 and I love this. this. The NIV says these signs will accompany those who believe. Some versions say these signs will follow those who believe. Notice this, that the signs didn't go in first, right? They came along. The believer had to go into the situation first and have faith in Christ first. And having faith in Christ, that believer carried these things along. That's an encouraging word for us. 
Next in James 5, 17 and 18, we have an example set. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He was no different. He was flesh and bone. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed and the heavens gave rain and the earth produced its crops. That's our example that James is giving us. He's saying, if you think you got nothing, you think you're down for the count, you're without. Elijah prayed so fervently with such passion in his prayer that the Lord held off rain for three and a half years. Can you imagine the world, how dry the world would be? No rain for three and a half years. I, I don't even think that our brains can really even begin to fathom that because we live in Northeast Ohio and it rains every three days. And, and so while I'm putting this together, I thought, Lord, I don't just wanna reread this exact example that James already gave. And so I heard the Lord say, Nehemiah. And I'm like, I actually had to ask myself, when's the last time you read the book of Nehemiah, Eric? Well, the last time now was this last week. Because <laughs> it had been a while. And so in Nehemiah chapter 1, we have this example of prayer. And don't take this as me reading into things, but I'm going to say this is so timely. And I'll explain that in just a second. Nehemiah chapter 1. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev. Does anyone know what Hebrew month it is right now? This is the month of Kislev. So this was a few years ago, but we're in the time frame. In the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province, are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. Nehemiah said, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, and this is his prayer, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. 
Let your ear be attentive and your eyes be open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands and decrees and the laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then, even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people, whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was a cupbearer to the king. Nehemiah, this cupbearer, can, can we really even imagine praying this way, truthfully? It takes a great confidence to call on the Lord's throne and say, Lord God of heaven, let your ear be attentive to my prayer. Hear me. Remember the promises that you made. We feel like that's too brassy, right? Nehemiah didn't. I like Nehemiah. But, but you look, I, I wish that we would all just take this and make it a pattern for ourselves. Because there's so much to this prayer. Sure, I'll give you, it's maybe on the longer side of what prayers need to be sometimes. But he covers so much. You can, you can read these words and feel the depth of this man's heart. Let your ear be attentive. And, and I love that phrase that follows this. And let your eyes be open to hear. What does that possibly mean? We don't hear with our eyes. But folks, I'm wanting to tell you this morning, I believe God hears with his eyes. Why? Because you consider our human state. Anybody ever heard the expression, we eat with our eyes? Yeah. And when we read someone's body language, we hear them with our eyes. And this is, this is what he's getting at, is God sees us when we pray. 
God's going to hear us with his eyes. So when you think, all righty, I'm going to pray this through real quick. Heavenly Father, I'm going to do this. When you're not being meaningful, God sees you. But when you think, oh, God, I need you. And you find yourself postured in prayer on your knees before him. He sees you and he hears you with his eyes. I see what you feel and I understand it. And then you get those king-size hands on your shoulders and he says, and I love you. Keep going. You got this. I'm here with you. What an example. Please never write off the examples of the Old Testament. Because these people knew God so differently than we know God. So differently than we know God. Face it, after all, we know God on this side of the cross. They didn't. Same God, same God, but such a different relationship. But even then, even then, if Nehemiah could be so bold then, how much more bold can you be today because of the cross? Incline your ear to hear me, O God. Remember the promise that you made. We've talked in our Bible study on Wednesday evening about the times that I've spent listing out promises, sometimes up to 60 at a time on one sheet of paper. And I'd get up in the morning and say, God, remember the promise you made to me. It's written in your word, and I take it personally. You made me this promise. I will follow that by saying this. When I remind God of his promises, it's usually in a valley, not on a mountaintop. Amen. There's an old song that says, God on the mountain is still God in the valley. Doesn't matter where you're at on that mountain. He's still God, still on the throne. He sets this example for us. I want to encourage you this morning as you consider the fervency of your prayer life. Take Nehemiah chapter 1. Read it every day this week and learn from him. Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes be open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night. What if we all prayed like that? So when we're making disciples and using James 5 as a pattern, we're going to educate them. We're going to encourage them. And the reason I want you to go home and read this every day this week is so that you can be that example. So that you can be the person that says, 
You know what God did for me this week? You know what God did for me today? He got me out of bed. He put breath in my lungs. He keeps me moving. I can pick things up. I can raise my hand and praise him. These are things that we consider daily life. But yet when we change our, our, ooh, there went the word, perspective. When we change our perspective, it changes things. And now it's our turn. We live on this side of the cross and Jesus said, go make disciples. If you want to take that personally, you got to be the example. Finally, the last E of James 5 is exhortation. In James 5, 19 and 20, a little pick-me-up there. My brothers and sisters, if any of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, Remember this, whoever turns someone, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. And cover over a multitude of sins. In Matthew 18, 15, if your brother or sister goes and sins, this passage is talk, that passage is talking about dealing with sin in the church. Are we the church? Yes. Do we all fall short sometimes? Yes. Here's a word that we need to listen to. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. That part is so important. Don't throw them under the bus first. Go and sit down with them first. Because sometimes when they've fallen, they need somebody to listen. They need somebody to say, just dust yourself off. Time to get up. Jesus still loves you. I still love you. Come on. You got this. All right? If they listen to you, you have won them over. Now there's more to that story because sometimes they won't listen to you. <laughs> and things get a little more tricky then. But for the sake of today's message, know this. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault one-on-one. -on -one, just between the two of you. And go into that meeting praying like Nehemiah. Lord, let your ear be attentive to my prayer before I go to this place of meeting with my brother, with my sister. Soften his heart, soften her heart that they would hear your love coming out of my mouth and be so inclined to return to you. <laughs> First Peter 4, 8, above all, love each other deeply 
because love covers a multitude of sins. It's not our love that covers a multitude of sins. It's his love that covers a multitude of sins. So the whole point of this message this morning is this. Do this. Do this. I'll be the first to tell you that's a tall order. That's a tall order to fulfill. Somebody say, go out and educate, encourage, make an example, and exhort your, your, your friends and your loved ones. That's a tall order. But do this. This is what we're called to do. In fact, I'm going to go back to my, to my um, title screen here. Can you see the background on that screen? See that that man's laying his hand on another man? Do this. As disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, we're called to pray. That's what we're called to do. We are called to pray. And we're called to go out and make disciples. CJ, if you would close with music here. But we're called to be the difference in this world, which is not the easiest thing to do. Because this world comes against us. This world fights back. This world pushes back. This world will step on your toes and push you down as far as it can possibly push you. But folks, I know this, that there will come a day that we will all stand before the throne of God and give account for every word we've spoken, every action we've taken, every action we didn't take when he opened the door, every word we didn't speak when he opened the door. And James says this, in all of those words, in all of those seven verses, he says, do this. Pray for one another. Confess your sins to one another. Lay hands on the sick and see them be well. He said, do this. It's that simple. But sometimes in the face of this world, we get nervous. And that's fine. Preachers get nervous too. That's the truth. We think, well, what if I try to witness to somebody and they just get mad at me? Well, folks, people got upset with Jesus too. People got upset with all 12 of his disciples for speaking truth. And in this world, our love looks like the world's version of hatred sometimes because we say you're not living right. You got something just a little askew. And we've talked about this all the way through the book of James. You're judging me. You shouldn't do that. 
you can't say that about me. Who are you to point me out? But the Word of God teaches us that when we see someone overtaken in a fault, the spiritual people should go to them and help restore them. I'll be the first to tell you, sometimes you lose friends. Sometimes you lose friends. Major occupational hazard of being a minister, you lose friends. Because you have to talk about things that aren't popular. You have to talk about things that get a little pinchy. You got to talk about righteousness and being set apart for the use of the kingdom. People don't like hearing about those things. They burn a little bit, make you uncomfortable. But do this. Week after week, here in our church, we observe those two words. Do this in remembrance of me when we take communion. We remember his sacrifice in breaking bread and honoring the symbol of his blood, broken and shed for us. That one doesn't seem like a, like a, 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 a do this that's too scary because we're here and we're among friends and believers. But when we're outside of these doors and we have to do this, do this being, we go outside the doors and we walk the walk and we talk the talk, it gets a little scary. but God will fight for you. You can't fire him and he's never gonna retire. This morning, if you need prayer, the altar's open. I'll invite the worship team to come forward as we close our service. If you need prayer this morning, this is the place to come. If you want to pray alone, you're welcome to pray alone. If you want us to pray over you, we'll gladly be here praying over you. But this is the place where you can drop your burdens off. This is the place where you can come and be set free and know that God's got your back. Know this too. None of us are righteous apart from Christ. No, not one. But we here in this building, we have a righteousness that Christ has made available to us. We can walk in. And so I want to invite you with any need if you need healing, if you need breakthrough, 
you have any need of prayer, shame, fear, doubt, all of those things can come with you and they, have, they go in the deposit boxes up here. Remember that. But come up here and meet with your king this morning. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray right now that you would begin to work in the hearts and the minds of your children. Father, to, to feel your love abound so greatly in this room. Father, right now that the people here in this room would, would feel the nudge of your Holy Spirit taking hold of them, Lord. You are able. We believe that, Lord. You are able to accomplish anything that we ask. You've taught us to ask it in your name. You've taught us to be faithful. You've taught us to say, Lord, if this aligns with your will, you have a plan for us, Lord. And Father, right now in the name of Jesus, I pray that you would begin working in your children. Call them come, Lord. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand as we sing.